Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. You know what's weird? It's like for a while we had like this this thing, you know, the pandemic, the crisis. It felt like we were in stuck in a loop where nothing ever changed and you were just doing the same thing over and over and over again. And it was like, oh, my God, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> nothing. It's almost the same right now, but except what the fuck is going on is like racism and it's like nothing is changing. It's just the same every day or maybe even worse every day. And I'm referring to the Canadian media and how frustrated I am. I'm just like, yeah. It's like, you know how actions have consequences and like, you know, like a consequence will happen and then maybe you'll change your action for the next time. There's no change in this thing. And I, in this series of events that's been happening in the Canadian media, they're just like, action happens, consequence happens. And they're like, let's just go back and do the same action again so that we can relive the same consequence. It's like, it's almost like the pandemic stuff, except a thousand times worse. <laughs> they're all trapped in amber. Uh, they've, they've, there's been a spell cast on them by some witch and, and they have to figure out how to undo the spell to get out of repeating the exact same thing over and over and over. I, I think that this is what our fourth Media So White episode. <laughs> I know, right? It's like it's like Groundhog Day. Let's just erase all the rest of our uh, episodes and just keep all the Canadian Media So White episodes up and uh, force... <laughs> Everyone who controls Canadian media to listen to it over and over and over again, because after all, we are the number two news program in the country. <laughs> so they may as well <laughs> learn something from us. <laughs> no, we're the number two podcast news program in the country. I know, I know. I'm like being going a little extra, but let us have it. No, no, it's critical, super critical. <laughs> it's it's a funny situation to be like... Um, fully ignored by the mainstream media like this little podcast like has never got any coverage there's never been an interview about the podcast we've never ever talked to a journalist about the podcast <laughs> and uh <laughs> and 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 yet like they could learn so fucking much they could learn so much if they just listened we wouldn't even care if you copied us actually we we would totally would but we would also <laughs> like it be happy about it <laughs> yeah 100% okay but before we get into the thing uh, we have so many people to thank again. I mean, the, the support has been really amazing. And one of the things that has, that stood up for me now, and Sandy, maybe you're not seeing some of the stuff because I know that like for every email I get, I think you probably get 100 <laughs> right now. Jesus, you have no idea. <laughs> but the, the number of you who have been in touch to say that our, our episode on our two episodes on defunding the police have changed your lives. It's like really amazing. It's amazing. I, I can't believe that. I'm so happy that you've uh, found us, whether you found us from the start or you just found us. I'm so, 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 so happy that we've helped to change your thinking about something as fundamental as a police, because in every one of our episodes, we talk about something else that could be radically, radically transformed. The media can be radically transformed. We're going to talk about that tonight. Um, but for the for, for those of you who felt like, you know, a light went on or or some sort of light bulb above your head, like started flashing. I'm so happy to be part of that moment. So thank you. And thank you for letting us know about these about these times. We read it all. Uh, and, and if you ask for a response, we'll try to respond. Um, but um, but thanks so, 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 so much. It's just it's really wonderful. 
Yeah, the feedback is actually very critical because it, it tells us that, you know, the conversations that we're having, um, you know, we might think are ridiculous or too heady or too confusing or too simple are not that, that they're just really important conversations that help people to think through their own position. And uh, again, as Nora says, it's really it, it means a lot both to us and just generally as uh, people who are trying to think through stuff in our society. So I'm also really heartened by all of these messages that we're getting, even if I can't read them all, but Nora's reading them all, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I sure am. Um, I also want to just uh, say, um, if ever you do donate to the show and you're not sure that we'll pronounce your, or I will pronounce your name right, feel free to shoot me an email. We got one of those this week. Um, and so thank you very much to that person for letting me know how to pronounce their name. And we have a whole bunch of names to thank. So I'm going to try and get through this list respectfully, thankfully, but a little bit quickly so that we can get right into the issue tonight. And so... Uh, Folks in the last week who've uh, donated for the first time, who've come back to donate to the show or who've changed their donations, thank you so, so, so much to Jennifer, Arcy, Colin, Zaid, Andre, Jody, Alex, Carly, Robin, Rachel, Peyton Rose, Ben, Tashika, Karen, Jenny, Peter, Jill, Leslie, Ian, Andre, Mo, Jen, Chris, Delaney, Aaron, Prakash, Zach, Sarah, Jamie, Frank, Justin, Jackie, Corey, Suzanne, Jennifer, Jean-Sébastien, Ian, Drew, Charlie, Melissa, Liminalist, Rowan, Ellie, Andy, Renim, and Erica. Thank you so, 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 so much, so much for your support. Yeah, and if you're paying attention, you'll know that the next level on our Patreon is for Nora and I to play Scrabble Live. And we made that level so high <laughs> so that we would never, ever reach it. So thanks, all of you, for all of your great support <laughs> and forcing us to do this thing that we had no intention of ever doing. So at Al Flex My Ears, I think it is, on, on Twitter, who made that suggestion. You're going to get your wish, uh, probably, <laughs> at some point. We're going to have to figure out a way to play it live for you guys, but we will play Scrabble. <laughs> this is so With, weird. Without a Scrabble dictionary. What, wh why do you keep saying that? Is that something that we <laughs> promised without a Scrabble dictionary? No, I just I'm just not a huge fan of the Scrabble dictionary. I'm not even actually sure where you stand on that the Scrabble dictionary. I think the Scrabble dictionary is of critical importance. <laughs> okay. I I don't play Scrabble without a Scrabble dictionary. I don't know what kind of fucking life you're leading over there. <laughs> <laughs> I I just I tend to play it only with like the like a like an Oxford dictionary. Oh, no, because then you miss all the, like, little two-letter words that are uh, bull bullshit in a yeah. real dictionary <laughs> that only exactly. exist in the Scrabble dictionary. <laughs> I'm going to win! I'm going to win! Okay, we have some rules to settle. <laughs> the whole board is going to be, like, I-O everywhere. <laughs> all right, fuck it. Let's get into it. Okay. Uh... Canadian, Canadian media. Canadian media. Uh, once again, how, how did they white this week? <laughs> Nora, I can't. I, I just I can't. I actually need you to fucking explain this to me because you're the one who went to fucking J school. OK, and I 
I did not go to J school. Don't know how I've been writing so much for media stuff, <laughs> but I have I have zero desire to be a journalist. And every time I see, um, you know, what counts as journalism in this country, I wonder why anyone would want to be a journalist in Canada because it seems like the way that you have to fucking. Uh, I don't know, walk around without your eyes open and with your ears uh, closed, I guess. I don't know how else to say that. Uh, or not being aware of, of what's going on is uh, an affront, an embarrassment to journalism. And I know that that can't be the case for everybody who's writing. So somewhere in the editorial rooms or in the editor's rooms or in the production teams, people are, uh, I think, changing stories or really controlling what people are allowed to say or what counts as news and... I just, you know, that's what I, I, these are the assumptions I'm making because nothing else makes sense. And I need you to explain this to me because you have the training and somehow you didn't come out that way. So what the fuck is going on? Okay, well, let's be clear. I fucking dropped out. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Wait, what's your degree in? Oh, my degree is, <laughs> my degree is a bachelor of political science, if you can believe, or politics or something, whatever the version of politics is at Ryerson, I, I ended up getting that. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I totally thought you had graduated in. No, you've told me before that you dropped out. I don't know why yeah. I thought you had a B journalism. <laughs> oh, I did five years in the department. So, I mean, I fucking should have gotten a degree. And and partly one of the reasons why I dropped out was because um, it's not a degree at the time. I'm not sure if that's changed that you can't do part time. <laughs> so it's not a degree that you can do if you've got a full time job or if you've got kids or whatever. And so when I was working full time and trying to finish my journalism degree, they were like, oh, yeah, but you can't do this part time. Like you have to be in class for eight hours a day or whatever. And I'm like, sorry, everybody, I've got a job. <laughs> I'm going to have to figure out another way to finish my degree because I'm not going to be able to finish my core two years that, are, that were left. Um, yeah. How, why does journalism suck? I mean, it's the, the, the entire media industry in Canada is an embarrassment. And it's an embarrassment for a whole bunch of, of reasons that have been laid bare in the last week, in the last number of years. And, and I also think that it's important to remember that things have changed a lot as well. Like the way Black Lives Matter is being covered now versus in 2016 is quite different, which is, I mean, only encouraging in that it should be different. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not totally Groundhog Day, <laughs> but the same dinosaur fucking white supremacist maintaining managers uh, have been in these positions of power for years and years and years and years. And so the result is that you've got a media ecosystem is you know the CBC is like for sure front and center of this, but it's not just the CBC. It's also the Globe and Mail, the whole National Post system, obviously, and Global and CTV. But they they exist to maintain white supremacy in Canada, and I don't think that people think about media in that way. They see media as reflecting what's going on in your community, telling your stories and this kind of thing. But baked into that is the 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 intentional erasure of anything that that confronts whiteness or that is different than whiteness and so every story is told in opposition to whiteness and then they start to get in trouble which we've seen a lot of instances of that in the last couple of weeks yeah i mean there are so many examples um that i'm sure we're gonna miss some uh, there's just too much to go through how the canadian media has fucked up in the last couple of weeks um, in this like 45 some minutes show 
But God, like, I mean, we've got uh, Rex Murphy, the Rex Murphy stuff. We've got the Stockwell Day stuff. We've got um, we've got the Toronto Star seemingly positioning the fact that I guess they're just talking to white readers. The fact that white people can only be upset about either black lives or indigenous yeah. lives. And there's like a limit <laughs> on that. And that, that we have to, you know, save some of our ire for indigenous lives. We can't expend it all on black lives. What the fuck? Um, and then every fucking interview, every fucking headline that thought that the really big, hard-hitting questions to ask this week were, does systemic racism exist in Canada? Or or does racism exist in Canada or, or any number of the ways to position that, which I suppose is better than uh, in 2016 or 2014 when it was like, you know, Black Lives Matter sucks <laughs> <laughs> when everybody hated us. But but as Nora says, like the, it's different now, but only because people are like dragging them, kicking and screaming to be a little bit different. And instead of being like full on fuck this group, it's more like uh is what they're saying real mm. <laughs> do do black people uh really know anything about their own experience <laughs> let's ask the rcmp <laughs> let's let's discuss amongst uh this panel of white folks and our one token black let's discuss <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> or or the rcmp is it racist <laughs> what the fuck was that? or every fucking cup Every fucking cop that they talk to, um, I mean, I mean, both. Uh, what is that person's name at the RCMP? Licky, someone. Lucky, like lucky, really weird, lucky, whatever. Lucky and Chris Lewis, who was on the CTV multiple times because he's the public safety expert for the CTV, and he's the former um, uh, OPP chief, the Ontario uh, Provincial Police Chief. Uh, and both of them got asked about whether or not racism exists in their organizations. And both of them are like, no, absolutely not. I mean, racism exists everywhere. So of course it's also in, in our organization, but not at all. Nope. It's like the answer that is always given. And it's like, how the fuck is this journalism? You know what? It's it's not is the funny thing. Like if you go back to what you're taught in journalism school, you are not taught to grovel at power. In fact, there's many professors who I had who spent a lot of time trying to convince us to not grovel at the altars of power. And I think of my classmates, many of them who uh, did not go into journalism, like straight up left and, and didn't uh, didn't try to have a career in it. And certainly there's folks that we're never going to fit into the into the media world. And there's, then there's some people who are very much in mainstream media. And, um, and the problem is, is pervasive throughout, but I think that you see it the, the worst in the hands of management, in the hands of the, the folks that have power. Because, you know, when you talk about racism anywhere, it's always a question of power. And so, like, to ask the fucking RCMP, is there systemic racism in the RCMP? Like, of course there is. Like, that's a bastion of power, just like there's systemic misogyny, as we know, broad, wide-scale um, uh, sexual assaults that have happened within the RCMP. Like, it's a systemic cesspool of shit, obviously. And so... What what school of journalism does Rosie Barton study at to then ask the fucking chief commissioner of the RCMP, is there a systemic racism, rather than, well, Sandy, you had several alternative questions that they could have asked her. Uh, and there's a reason that they that they didn't. And I, I hope that you can talk about some of those questions. But but before we get to that, I think that the situation with Wendy Mesley is a really good example 
of someone who's um, a very high profile figure at the CBC. Uh, I had one experience with 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 Mesley where she fully told one of the guests to like what to say in an answer to be less left wing. And um, yeah, yeah, it was the only interview I did with the CBC in the aftermath of the Humboldt situation. And it was very weird. And it was like, you know, we did a practice round and he answered the question to like whatever it was. And she said, "Okay, when when we're recording, you you can't say this. You have to you have to say something more like this, because what you said was too left left wing was too um, advocating for a left wing perspective. And so, you know, that kind of thing is normal. And that happens within the mainstream. press. But, But it's not normal such that that's how it should happen. And that's not what you're taught to do. And I know a lot of folks at the CBC who I mean, I've told that story to people and they were horrified to hear that even happened, not to say like, oh, yeah, that happens all the time. They're like, what the fuck? But but Mesley's Mesley's a, a, a main person. And well, she was until she <laughs> said a word that cannot be said and was suspended. Well, as you say that, I was uh, on Facebook this morning and uh, what what has been interesting and kind of great about this moment is that a lot of uh, people who are in journalism, especially black folks who are in journalism right now in Canada, have been talking about their experiences and uh, talking about it publicly, which is um, quite risky. And so, you know, are, are taking this huge leap to talk about their experiences. And one of those people is someone named Lincoln Anthony Blades. I hope he's OK with me talking about this on the air he made the, his post public and he's he said the the same thing like so he was a regular contributor um on cbc uh on the same program as wendy mesley and he speaks about how he uh responded to um issues back in 2016 uh, talking about um anti-blackness or responses to black lives matter and so on and she said okay we've got to re-record this part because you can't say that you cannot say that. And so um, that's I guess that that's just I mean, who knows if that's happening, how many issues that's happening for. But clearly um, there are gatekeepers uh, that de- that um, uh, control how we talk about race in Canadian media, because uh, Lincoln Anthony Blades, who is, you know, meant to be the black guy on these panels, as he as he uh, acknowledges in his post um, and the weirdness that that comes with. And, and even your situation when you're talking about Humboldt, you were talking about, of course, race and how we how we understand tragedy um, uh, when we consider race. And so, God, it's just <laughs> uh, I mean, it's you know, you you expect these things uh, because it's obvious that that kind of thing is happening. But I think that's what's kind of um uh, dare I say surprising? It is a little bit surprising, even though it's it's not that surprising. It, it it is a little bit surprising to me, just quite how overt they can be about it at the level of the CBC, um, and feel safe doing it continually, continually, time and again. And for these stories to be coming out now, uh, years later. It suggests a huge systemic problem in this in the CBC, not just the CBC. You know, this is happening uh, all across Canadian media. So, but fuck. One of these examples, I think, was perfectly encapsulated by this piece that Rex Murphy managed to get through uh, the censors, I guess, uh, at the National Post. And so he has this piece. I didn't read it because that guy's a fucking crank and he's shit writer, and I don't have time for shit writing. But he essentially says that the, that racism in Canada doesn't exist. That's a, a liberal invention. And, of course, he means, like, large L liberal because he really hates the Liberal Party of Canada and is giving them too much credit. Manisha Krishnan at Vice got a hold of a recording. Did you see this? 
Um, keep talking. I think I did. Okay. So she got a... Yes, no, I, de- I definitely did. I know what you're talking about. Continue. So she got a hold of a recording of um, a meeting with um, management and, and journalists who were pissed because there were lots of journalists who were completely pissed that this that this ran and, because, of course, it like calls into question the credibility of their newspaper and it's it's racist and it's, it's, it's an attack, a personal attack for everyone at that paper who's not white at that paper, at the whole chain that's not white. And um, and basically what happened was the ball was dropped between the editor of the opinions page and the editor-in-chief, and it just and, and it just ran as it was, unedited. And it's just like one of these stories where you're like, yeah, of course, because you guys don't fucking actually care. Like, because you want Rex Murphy to say dumbass shit, and that's what his literal job is. And so you don't care if he says something f- completely ridiculous. But the thing that, that makes me the most enraged is that, on one hand, it's easy to make this issue like a generational issue where, like, we just have to wait for a whole bunch of people to die, and then all of a sudden the system's going to get better, like, just de facto, because there's going to be less old racists running these shows and less people being gatekeepers. But it's also a self-perpetuating issue because in the situation with um, with Rex Murphy, like ignore the fact that Murphy's a fucking dinosaur. But the editor of the opinion page is Matt Gurney, who's our age. And uh, Sandy, I don't know if you remember Gurney, but the first time that I came across him was, I think, probably the first time you came across him as well, where we were filming something at MTV. I did something at MTV. I don't think I did. Are you sure? <laughs> I don't remember this, but I did. You may not have you may not have been on the panel. I feel like you must have been in the room because it was like we needed everyone and their and their best friend to be there. So they had this panel of two of two youth who were opposed to the G20 and two youth who were for the G20. And it was pathetic because the whole room was like, why would we waste a billion dollars in the G20? Like this whole thing, you arrested 1,100 people. It was oppressive. It was destroying our rights. And the two people they had arguing in favor was Matt Gurney and Robin Urbach. Oh, my fucking God. <laughs> Right. So that's what happens where a decade ago when you're a, a bootlicking piece of shit, fucking asshole in and in sucking the fucking teat of all of these gatekeeping piece of shit racists. And then you find yourself editing the opinions page at the National Post, which, of course, was a job they both held. Um, so uh, and of course, Robin went on to uh, the CBC where she posted a lot of bullshit under CBC opinions, not the least of which was a lot of racist shit as well. And now, of course, she's uh, writing opinion uh, at the Globe and Mail. So the. the it is not going to be slow change that 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 takes this white supremacist reality out of our out of our media. We have to figure out a way to to really fight these tendencies and, and demand changes. And, and we're seeing some of that, but uh, it's not enough. And and I don't think that managers owners are feeling enough heat to know that this is a, an economic problem that they've got and not just a moral problem or a, a problem of equity. Man, and there are so many, so many wicked smart black women journalists out there who do not have permanent positions in Canadian media, who are only tapped to speak when we're at a moment where something like what is happening now is happening, when uh, the media is finally paying attention to the violence inherent in anti-blackness in our society, or February, where we all make money and uh, and then come March 1st, uh, all of that interest in uh, the black, these really smart black women uh, disappears. But God, there's talent all around you. And like, why, why, when you have all of this talent, would you ever, ever ask Stockwell Day (laughs) (laughs) 
to write anything like I that just is, is just so shocking to me. And of course, it's not just um, the issue of race. I'm talking about all of the knowledge that we miss um, outside of uh, of of the issue of of uh, race and anti-blackness in in other times uh, when we ignore these voices. And so, yeah, as Nora referenced, I um, one night when I was like really frustrated at the types of questions that I was seeing asked again and again in the media, it's like I feel like they must have some sort of like cheat sheet somewhere that they all pass along to one another <laughs> because I don't understand how you could just be so uncreative in your questions not even uncreative because creative is too high a bar (laughs) oh yeah the the questions that they're asking aren't even obvious they're just ridiculous um the the question of does racism exist is a question for uh, like never (laughs) no no (laughs) i don't i don't know when it, it would be ever be appropriate to ask that question i was i was talking to a producer um, who is a producer of color uh, at somewhere and at some point this week who who, sa- who said to me um, that one of the questions that they asked uh, to, to a guest was, uh, um, have you ever experienced racism? And this is to a guest who is uh, either black or otherwise racialized, I can't remember. And uh, she she had to go and be like, we can't publish that and argue with people about why it was inappropriate to publish that question and the answer to that question. Like, have you ever experienced racism and can you talk about the time that you did? It's just No, no, no. That person is uh, not qualified to discuss uh, the issues that we are currently discussing today. So anyway, I'm like really pissed off watching all of this shit go down. And uh, really exhausted one night, just write a bunch of things that made me laugh, basically, about how the types of questions that people should be asking. And it's actually not funny. It only makes me laugh and because it's like ridiculous that anyone would have to, to put something like that together. Who, who knows nothing about journalism? That's me, in case you didn't know. Um, <clears throat> but like, you know, I, like imagine a, a general issue that happens in, in, in like Canadian society. Like what's one of the things, that, what was one of the scandals that Justin Trudeau went through? I don't know. Fucking. SNC-Lavalin. SNC-Lavalin, right? Like they connected it to another ethics issue of like when he went on vacation um, with some prince or something like that uh, in the, the Caribbean. The Agricon, I think. Right? The Agricon. That's right. In the Caribbean. They connected it. They're like, okay, here's an issue with Justin Trudeau. Um, this this follows a pattern of things that has happened with Justin Trudeau. Can we trust Justin Trudeau? What are we going to do about ethics? Okay. like cause, And that makes sense because journalism. Right. But when it comes to race, it's like anything that happened last month two two years ago, fucking a decade ago doesn't exist. It's like, oh, look, Justin Trudeau kneeling. How wonderful. Are we going to talk about the promises that he made to black Canadians in the 27 or the 2018 budget that he has not made good on? Nope. Are we going to connect this to blackface? Not even blackface. Okay, fine, fine. Ignore that shit. Are we going to connect it to any of the issues with respect to uh, marijuana amnesty that the government still hasn't done? No, no. You're just going to report on it and say, isn't it great that our prime minister supports the blacks? 
Really? Really? That's who you want to be as a journalist? That That is what you were hoping for when you dreamed of being whatever people who dream of being journalists dream of? Nora, maybe you can fill this in for me. But that's what you thought it was going to be? Like just an uncritical fucking communications department for the Liberal Party of Canada? Because that's what you're being when you do something like that. God, like all of the information is there for you. You all presumably reported on it before. You, you're not going to make those connections and make it a part of a continuum of actions or inactions because you would do that on things that you care about. But you don't do that on things that I think that most people in this country actually do care about. But you guys are gatekeeping what counts as news and gatekeeping what counts as important with respect to anti-black racism and uh, as a result, we don't get any sort of analysis um, that makes sense, which leaves people like me who are not journalists forced to do it on top of all the other things that I have to do. Well, with no platform, though, too. I mean, like what the, like no offense to your Twitter feed, but it's not the national. Right. It's like not, not yet. Okay. <laughs> we are close. <laughs> Two weeks ago, people were like, this is not the current. Look at this now, That's a good Nora. Point. It's it's so sad. And then when you point this out, so many of them get like fucking like whiny and sad about it. It's like, why are you attacking me? I'm just asking questions. <laughs> oh right. It's like um, then once the RCMP is like, oh, fuck. Sorry, guys. We oh, we totally forgot the actual answer. We, there is systemic racism in the RCMP. What was the headline in all on all platforms and TV and fucking print? RCMP says there's systemic racism. It's like, oh my god! Like you, you could, you could be asking questions about the RCMP's record of uh, of uh, sexual assault violations, of not dealing with sexual assault uh, um, uh, complaints in the community, of their long, long, long history of. Uh, of like and purpose of existing for indigenous genocide like you could be asking so many questions you could ask questions about their budget you could look into it and be like hey why do you need 11 million dollars a day what exactly does that go to why does so much of your budget go towards policing indigenous people can you please explain that if you're saying that there's no anti like you know what Ask the question if you want, but at least follow it up with some brilliance by being like, if you say that there is no systemic racism, why is so much of your budget um, uh, allocated to policing indigenous people? Please explain that. Right. Like do something smart with the platform that you have, because we all desperately need it. Like the cost of you not doing that is that people, one, who are not in the know or don't have time for this to be to be in the know, don't think that any of this stuff is an issue. And then when it comes up, think that it's like this one off thing. Oh, so strange that this person has been killed um, in New Brunswick. That never happens in Canada because there is no racism, because if it did happen in Canada regularly, we'd hear about it. Yeah. We'd hear about it. Wouldn't we? Wouldn't we? But we don't. We don't. It takes people literally pulling the teeth of people in the journal in the journalism world to report on what's going on. Well, it makes the violence possible. And I think that that's like the most important part of this conversation is that, you know, it's 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 funny because all you can do is laugh. It's ridiculous. And therefore you laugh. Uh, It's frustrating. And therefore you kind of laugh or you or you rage against your radio or you 
you rage about it on on social media, but the reality is is that there's a direct connection between the way the mainstream press talks about Black lives and Indigenous lives and violence against them. And and it is tantamount to committing violence. I was reading a an article this past weekend in my local newspaper that's that was asking, like, where are all the black police officers in Quebec City? So Quebec City has something like 832 police officers and uh, and only 11 are racialized. None are black. And uh, of the racialized communities in Quebec City, black communities, like one of the largest. And so this white journalist is asking the police force about this. And I'm like, your newspaper doesn't have any black reporters either. (laughs) Why, why are you like, like, can you, how, how are you not connect these dots? And it's like, it's one thing to make sure that the, okay, yeah, you want to have a diverse policing force so that they see themselves and the people they're policing. So they're not like dehumanizing them and killing them. Okay. I guess that's one argument, but we also need the press to be also able to write about this stuff in an intelligent way, in an honest way, getting the facts right and not obscure. Uh, reality, not inventing reality and not continuing the violence that has happened for so, so, so long. Like in after the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, there were a lot of recommendations that came uh, that, that targeted journalism. And, you know, there just hasn't been enough, any progress made, really. Uh, because the people that have power are the, still the ones who are in power. And unless they relent or are forced out, that power is still going to be operated or is still going to be used in a specific way. I thought it was so interesting this weekend, just as proof that the defund the police movement is, is becoming big and becoming popular, right? People are saying, yeah, what the fuck? Why do we need police? The Globe and Mail puts out this, this editorial trying to reformulate what this movement means. And so, and this is one of the examples in which you can see the role that the mainstream media actually plays in Canada to sanitize what is being said by average people. So that, as you said, people read the newspaper and they don't really understand or they don't really see what the, what the, what the reality is. And so they, they actually argue that defund the police is a terrible slogan and it encourages an us versus them dynamic, insinuating that we, the public, finally get to really stick it to them, the cops. Also, it's an American slogan and Canada's problems, though related, are different in nature and scale. As noted earlier this week, the number of people who die at the hands of police in Canada each year's oh, nice fucking typo, guys. Jesus. This is in the print version, is around 26. In the US, it is more than 1,300. They fail to mention, first of all, that there's a population difference between Canada and the United States. They at least could have adjusted for population in that little uh, piece of shit uh, statistic. Number two, it assumes that those 26 people's lives are not that important because there weren't more people dead, which is fucked up. And number three, it fails to mention that in comparator countries, other European nations, Canada ranks number two for the number of people who are killed by police. And it fails to consider that um, uh, dying is not the only bar (laughs) (laughs) of police brutality. Like, fuck you guys for that. Um, Like, oh, my God. Two things to say about what you just said. One, this is an American slogan and not a Canadian slogan. Let me tell you. Um, very fucking honestly that uh, I was a part of the conversation that decided that strategically uh, two weekends ago that we were going to move forward with a defund the police strategy, okay? And not a single fucking American was in the room. We had conversations with Americans afterwards about 
how that needed to to be pushed. But I am telling you, not a single fucking American was in the room. I'm not saying that they they all got it from us, the Canadians. But what I am saying is that we came up with that independently because it is the way to fucking go because of what is real and happening in Canada. Okay, so that's one. Two, all of this hand-wringing around the idea of defund. The problem here is not that we disagree with you, oh, sweet unknowing black people. The problem is that you don't know the best way to construct your message or your campaigns. And we would agree with you. Um, but the problem is that you, you've chosen the wrong, you've chosen the wrong word. Defund is not the word that you, uh, dear black person wanted. The word uh, that you wanted, or the series of words that you wanted, was more like this is a series of choices that we're making in our society. And when we when we choose to, to put so much money in the police, we can't put as much money in other things, other types of safety. And as a result, uh, what we are pleased asking for very nicely is for you to take a tiny portion of what is in the current police budget, not eliminate it altogether but just take a reasonable a reasonable portion and then put it into something else which as you say uh, was an editorial in the globe and mail and has been repeated by um many people who i think just just disagree with us but are more comfortably comfortable saying that it's not that they disagree it's just that they're very very concerned uh, with word usage, which is the thing to be concerned about, obviously, when so many people are dead. <laughs> okay, so well, and it just to just to add, like just the sentence that follows this in this editorial actually says, "But reasonable advocates for defunding the police usually start by explaining they don't actually want to defund the police." Which I haven't seen anywhere. I, I haven't seen any fucking black person do that. I haven't seen it. So no, uh, haha, ridiculous. I I just want you. Nora, I mean, you know a thing or two about communications. Do you think that we would at all be having this national conversation if we placed uh, the idea of defunding the police in the way that the Globe and Mail suggests that we frame it? Hey, guys, maybe we should make different budgetary allocations because um, this hurts sometimes. Like, what? You guys are barely paying attention to us now. Of course, we have to be a little bit provocative. And it's not just that it's provocative. It's fucking true. Because here's the thing. You, dear journalists, think that this is provocative. But guess what society has taught you in the last couple weeks is that it's actually not all that provocative. It's just logic. And why is it that the society can consider logic but you can't. This is so easy. It's not difficult. The arguments are not difficult. The arguments are arguments that you should have been making for years. And in fact, there are some great journalists who have been making these arguments. So, you know, uh, Nora referenced last week an article about um, uh, the rise of SWAT uh SWAT teams in Canada. And there was a there was an article in Toronto Life, a famous article in Toronto Life in 2016 that talked about uh, the Toronto police budget in particular. Like there are journalists who've been doing this work. But for some reason, most of you just missed it. Like, (laughs) (sighs) 
I don't know, Nora. I mean, what do we like? What what needs to happen to keep journalism accountable? You know, like journal journalism uh, is good at pretending that they are like this diverse institution that is forward thinking or whatever, blah blah blah, because. You know, um, they respond to a moment like this. They'll have, you know, a CTV special racism in Canada uh, and they will uh, do what they can to be like, oh, we are um, the the first news uh, station in the world to have a anchor who is a hijabi woman or, you know, have all sorts of really diverse voices who are front facing. And that convinces people or perhaps um uh, signals to people who are watching that it's a diverse organization overall. But what they don't know is one that a lot of those people who you see front facing have to do a lot um, in terms of compromising themselves uh, or endure a lot of bullshit from their managers and from production teams and so on in order to be where they're at. And they don't see just how fucking white these newsrooms are. They don't see it. So how do we keep them accountable? Like, what are we supposed to do? I know that there have been attempts to have like a census in journalism in the past uh, in Canada, yeah. but like most um, uh, and and what I mean by census is like a, a census to see like, you know, how people identify who are uh, deciding what's news and reporting on news. Um, and and most of the the very small number of people who control the mainstream media in Canada have refused to engage in that. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 there's a like some small fixes that I think are worthwhile talking about. Um, things like I know I saw I saw Robin Maynard talk about this week that she's never been paid for an appearance on a CBC platform. And that opened up a whole big conversation on Twitter of, of people who are getting paid for doing things like syndication. So syndication is like you're hired by Toronto to do some unbelievable number of interviews across radio platforms based on which radio shows want you on. And so you might actually sit on the phone for fucking like 12 interviews. And some people get paid. You're supposed to get paid. And some people were not getting paid. And there was a very clear racial division between who was getting paid and who wasn't getting paid. And I think that that's a very basic uh, example where we can say to the CBC, isn't this fucking interesting? Um, your white male guests, your white women guests are getting paid for their appearances on The National, on The Current, on syndication for radio, uh, except and the racialized ones are not. What the fuck is that? Right. I want to see that that conversation continue. Um, there's also um, the the way that journalism reports around like really horrific, violent incidences. They have to change this exhibitionist approach to like, can you believe this violence? And then you have to hear the gunshots that killed Ahmed Arbery in the morning while you're while you're making coffee, listening to the current. And it's like, what exactly did that add? I know there was a panel um, on the on the Sunday um, morning news uh, news network uh, segment. My understanding is that there was some sort of audio that was played of a man being killed in Atlanta uh, at a Wendy's and his name was Rayshard Brooks. And so the people, my understanding is that the people who uh, were on the panel were not given a warning that, that that was what they were going to hear and then were going to be asked to comment on afterward. Like a decision like that is just, it's ridiculous. It, it's, it's, it's clearly not being made with the perspective of the people who are doing the analysis are also 
impacted by this stuff. And it's rooted again in this this fake idea of neutrality and there's no bias and this is just the news. It's not going to affect you. Um, And so that those kinds of decisions need to end. We don't need to be hearing people's last words, especially with the proliferation of social media, where that's very available and people have probably already seen it if they want to and they haven't if they don't want to. Um, but I mean, deeper than that, I, I, I'm, I'm so jaded. I'm so jaded about the mainstream media because I mean, I'm fully shut out of it. So I, I have absolutely no way to get my voice into it. And so I'm just like in Canadian mainstream media, Nora, because we can get into the American mainstream media, which is ridiculous but you were shut out of a Canadian mainstream media. Yeah, me and a couple of other people too, right? That it's it's easier for us to get published in the Washington Post than it is to be published in the fucking National Post, which is embarrassing. And um and that that goes back to this like refusal to entertain anything that is not the the like the the cherished sh- uh, status quo for whatever that means for each of our newspapers. And so part of me is just kind of like, fuck it, like, fuck the Globe Mail, go, 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 like, disappear, set yourself on fire. The Toronto Star is being sold up for parts. Good fucking luck. See you later, Toronto Star. You guys are fucked. The, the, the National Post, Post Media Empire, y'all, you guys are totally fucked. Fuck all of you. And we need to replace these with new things. The, pro- the problem is, is that that takes a lot of work. It's not realistic. I mean, you and I have created something new and it's been off of the, the, the skin of our teeth to be able to do it. Um, and mm-hmm. so it's not it's not an ideal a solution because it's not going to solve the problems that we have now. But I mean, I, 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 this is my my hesitancy from earlier. I, I, I like like it like it, we are witnessing like the CBC every time the CBC makes one of these decisions, every time Rosemary Barton asks the dumbest fucking question possible, we are witnessing a corporation that is self-immolating. And for every person within that corporation who is a good journalist, who works super hard, who's got excellent news instincts, who does who does excellent storytelling, they are on a sinking ship with a bunch of fucking pieces of shit that want that place to go down rather than change. That that's the decision from upper management is we can chase stories that are popular. I mean, if you chase Black Lives Matter in a positive way, do you think that you would get more popularity from your audience or less? The answer is more. You would get more hate from the far right, which fuck them. But the CBC is chasing the far right and they're chasing that white right wing rage far more than they're chasing average Canadian perspectives. And it's at their own death and it's at the, their own death for every one of these uh, institutions. And we're just watching this slow self-immolation and it is so painful to watch. I mean, the CBC could have led the story of defunding the police because, again, they were the first to hear of that kind of thing um, in this moment uh, from me when they decided not to to play it on the air on the current. And it took, um, you know, it becoming more popular in The New York Times, in The Washington Post, being discussed in The Fucking New Yorker, for fuck's sake for them to start taking it more seriously. Um, And that is an embarrassment to them. And quite frankly, like the tragedy that Nora's talking about has kind of already happened. The amount of people who, as Nora described, decide not to go into journalism, but also the people who give up. I know a bunch of people who've tried, a lot of black women actually, (laughs) who have tried to do work uh, in Canadian media and decided that this is not fucking worth it. The uphill battle that it takes 
to like get a producer or a newsroom to consider what is real fucking news to get them to you know to be like god someone died in suspicious circumstances at the hands of the police we need to report on it ah well we're not sure if that's news it's only news if it happens in the states like what the fuck you know you've already lost so many wicked smart people who could be covering this kind of stuff because they just can't take this bullshit anymore. And I think, Nora, just before we started, you were telling me about someone who perhaps resigned on the air or maybe resigned right after giving a statement on the air. I'm not sure. uh, Up in the north. Yeah, news. uh, There's a Facebook post from Christine Jenier, who is hosting uh, the Yukon morning show. And apologies if I've gotten the name uh, pronounced incorrectly because I've never had the chance to listen to the new Yukon morning show. Um, And again, uh, another story of what it's like to be indigenous uh, or or someone who's not white within the corporation, not able just not able to handle it anymore. Just it's it's too much. It's it's over. And this this bullshit journalism standard and practice, the JSP that all um, all CBC employees are supposed to adhere to. A lot of the problems go back to this the, the JSP, this document, because it really aggressively polices the, the freedom of, of CBC employees to express themselves online. And um, I mean, that is also another place that the CBC needs to change. But it's clear that this is endemic. It's, it, it, it's as bad in a small local station as it is in downtown Toronto. Um, that that our, our news media, like in you'll, you'll get uh, people asking the, the RCMP if there's systemic racism and then you get CTV Vancouver saying, hi, have you ever experienced racism? Tell us about it in a tweet, which ended up getting deleted later on, because obviously that's a ridiculous thing to ask your audience. We like media is in crisis and as it's dying, it's going to be making even more missteps at the same time that whip smart, young, not so young racialized journalists are finally at that moment in their career where their white bosses would have been when they entered into positions of power. And those positions of power are few and far between. And as the industry is dying, people are holding on to that power in even more ridiculous and cruel ways. And and so, yeah, so, so coming up with solutions, I mean, journalists have to figure out an anonymous way to start doing this stuff. I know that the union at the Globe and Mail started a conversation about anti-black racism and black and racism in general at the Globe and Mail, which is interesting. So the labor movement obviously has a role to play, but fuck am I jaded. I really, I, I'm not the best person to come up with solutions on this one, I gotta say. Oh man, and, oh, that is so depressing because you're a solutions-oriented person generally. <laughs> um, because I don't, I don't really have them either. I just, I feel just all this frustration. I am, um, you know, I a funny story this week. I was uh, talking to a producer who was doing a pre-interview with me, um, and uh, you know, asked a series of really great questions in the pre-interview. And I should mention that this person. Uh, Uh, judging by her name, though I don't know for sure, but judging by her name is likely not white. Um, And she, the final question that she asked me was, okay, and then so we'll we'll just close it up with, uh, does um, racism exist in the Toronto Police Force? And I, (laughs) just give it a second, hold on. I I was like, okay, you know what? I I literally said this. I was like, okay, you know what? If you want to ask me that, go ahead and ask me that. But I'm just going to tell you right now that I'm going to say everything that you would expect me to say on the air if you've been following me in the last couple weeks on Twitter. And I'm going to say it unabashedly. I'm going to say it unafraid. And she was like, 
Oh, sorry. I that was a, I was just joking. <laughs> I was making a joke because it's just so embarrassing. And this is someone who is working at one of these outlets who have very much seriously asked that question over and over again this week. And then, you know, we had a little bit of a conversation about how ridiculous it is that one, I took that seriously. Like I, I had to take it seriously. Like, why would it not be serious? And and two, that that is something that is a, a work environment that she works in. Right. That she works in and she, she and she has to deal with that. Like, ah, <laughs> Jesus. She has to deal with that. I just, I don't know, Nora. There's got to be some solution. Yeah. Burning it down? <laughs> I I would love, well, the management's burning it down already at the CBC and, and you know, Post Media is not going to be around for too much longer either. Although, I mean, the sons of the world, the Ottawa Sun, the Toronto Sun, they'll, they'll survive Post Media's death. Um, you know, there's, I've always said, uh, to friends uh, when they get frustrated in their workplace and I won't say where, and I won't say what kind of media, but that they just need to take it over, <laughs> that they just need to tell their manager to fuck themselves and they need to take it over. I, I, I know that that's not a great solution, but if there was, um, a mass staff revolt, that would, that would change things. Um, the fact that Wendy Mesley has been suspended for saying something in a meeting that she has likely said many times before. Uh, it does indicate that the um, that the frustration, that the feelings of of journalists uh, who are not white within the CBC are being heard to an extent. But uh, I mean, fuck, guys! Like you can't even have anything left of the right wing of the NDP on the air. <laughs> I mean, you guys, have, the the ship is so the ship is so left the harbor that it's really hard to think of how to get it to to come back. Uh, though all ships can come back, so I mean, it's possible. Well, this is a depressing way to end a, an episode. <laughs> but I, I yeah, mean, like, really, there's nothing really more to do really than rant. Like, I don't know. Maybe we've got some listeners who are journalists. Well, I know we have listeners who are journalists. And maybe you can tell us what you think. Like, if is there stuff that's been tried that's not working that we should be pushing for? Is there stuff that's obvious that's happening in other jurisdictions that aren't happening in Canada or that are being refused? Like, what the fuck is it? Or is it simply that we just need to yeah. fucking burn it down like that police precinct in Minneapolis? <laughs> like, just let us know what it is because uh, this just can't continue because the price is too fucking high. 